working through our series, The Names of God. Sometimes we come up with a name and it's difficult, I think, for Cindy to come up with the music to go along with it. And so this week she emailed me and she said, what, what, is, what, is, what is your topic this week? And it was a busy week, and so I hadn't really gotten into my topic yet of this week. And so I was able to email her, and I, I gave her some ideas. And I, I'm thankful that she's willing to not just take my ideas and say, okay, I'll go along with those, but come up with her own and appreciate the songs this morning. They want, they're going to go well along with what we're talking about. We've been working through a series called The Names of God. We've talked over the last week about God's names and the importance of understanding them as we come to God with these different situations in our lives. He speaks these names into the lives of situations of individuals' lives as they need to hear them. He reveals exactly the right part of himself. We've looked at many biblical characters. He reveals the right part of himself each biblical character needs to hear at the time they need to hear it. Warren Wiersbe says it this way in one of his commentaries. He says, our Lord always comes to us when we need him and in the way we need him. He always comes to us when we need him and in the way we need him. Have you ever faced a situation in your life that was so big, you didn't know what you were going to do? It was such a large situation. You weren't sure how you'd find a solution. Uh, the loss of a loved one can feel that way. Receiving a diagnosis from a doctor can feel that way. Sin and addiction in our life can feel that way. Losing your job can feel that way. Leaving or being left by a spouse can feel that way. Having children that don't choose to follow God can feel that way. These moments all feel paralyzing, depressing, daunting, and, and at times can fill you with despair. This morning we're going to talk about a name of God, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. This name is used at least 260 times throughout the Bible, so it's used very frequently. Today we're going to focus on two circumstances where God introduces himself in situations that seem insurmountable. The Names of God Bible says the term Lord of Hosts is a title that emphasizes God's rule over every other power in the material and spiritual universe. The first circumstance we're going to look at is in the book of Joshua. It's going to be Joshua chapter 5, and I encourage you to open your Bibles to, in God's Word to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 13. But let me catch you up a little bit. The people, the nation of Israel, had come out of Egypt. Remember, they came to the promised land, spies went in, and they came back saying, it's going to be too much. There were two who said, no, we can do this, though. Joshua was one of them. But because they disobeyed God and did not follow him in going over and conquering the promised land, they were left to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. Well, finally, after that time, the Bible tells us all of the ones who had left Egypt had passed away over those 40 years. And so there was a bunch of 
young ones, basically, who are now going to enter the promised land. Maybe you call them young and naive, I don't know, but they're about to enter the promised land. And, and the Bible tells us that Joshua was the one who had been trained by Moses, who was going to lead them. The first major obstacle they come to is the city of Jericho. Jericho was a well-fortified city. Uh, as archaeologists have actually done some work around the area of where Jericho was, they've discovered remains that they believe are actually from the time of Joshua and Jericho in the battle. They, they see that there were two walls to the area of Jericho. There was a retaining wall down at the bottom, and there was a wall above that, and then you go up a hill and there was another wall. So the wall of Jericho was quite large. At spots, it was 30 to 40 feet tall. That doesn't even get into the depth of it. And we know from a biblical standpoint that there were houses that were either built into the wall or built up against the wall. So it was a large wall that they were facing. We also know that the Bible tells us that the city of Jericho realized that the nation was coming. And so they shut up all their walls, shut up all their doors, closed everything off. And so we read this encounter that Joshua has as they're kind of taking in the scope of this wall and trying to figure out what they're going to do. It starts in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man said, and he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, from the place where you were standing is holy. And Joshua did so. When we focus on the story of Jericho and Joshua and the people, even when we tell it to our children, we kind of leave out this part. We don't tell about this encounter of Joshua and the commander of the Lord's army. But the term there, the commander of the Lord's army, is actually the term Jehovah Sabaoth. Army has lots of different meanings, and so he's the commander of the Lord of hosts. And I want to just make a couple of observations. And the first is that Joshua was observing the city. It says he lifted up his eyes, and, and I can just think of... He lifted up his eyes and he was looking up at the wall about how are we ever going to do this. I don't know how high this wall is in here. I'd say probably 25 feet maybe all the way to the peak. Be my guess. These walls are 30 to 40 feet. And I can just see Joshua going, okay, God, what have you gotten us into here? How are we ever going to get out of this? And then he looks down. He sees what he thinks is just a man standing there. And he, he walks up to him and he asks him a bold question. 
The question's found in verse 13. It says, are you for us or for our adversaries? Do you notice what his answer is? I'm not for either. No. (laughs) The answer is no. He identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord or the commander of the Lord of hosts. And then you see what Joshua does. He falls down at his feet. As we read through this, it says that Joshua worshipped him in verse 14. The man who's standing there allows that. We know that this is not just a man. This is not an angel. Angels do not allow humans to worship them. Many believe that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ standing there before Joshua with a sword in his hand ready to go to battle. And Joshua is commanded by the Lord of hosts to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. Who else had to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground? Moses. It's a reminder to Joshua of Moses standing at the burning bush, being in God's presence. Joshua is now having that same experience, but in a completely different way. Moses met God the way he needed to meet God when he met God. Joshua is now meeting God the way he needed to meet God, with a sword in his hand, ready to do battle for his people. But before we go to application, I want to go to our other text. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this is another familiar text. This is David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 41. But just to remind you, God had sent Samuel to be a prophet and, and Samuel had told King Saul, you are no longer going to be king. Samuel went and anointed David. Remember, he went through all the lineage of Jesse, all of his sons. And is there any more? And he said, well, there's one out in the field. And that, that was David. David was the chosen king, but Saul was still the actual king. The Bible tells us that Saul had an evil spirit that tormented him. And David would come and play his harp. And that would calm Saul down. David would go back and forth. And on one of these trips, Jesse said, I want to know how my sons are doing in the army. And so he sends David with some food. He says, take some food to your brothers. Take some food to the leader over your brothers and find out how they're doing. The Bible tells us that when David arrives... Goliath was there, and Goliath had been taunting the Israelite army for 40 days. For 40 days, Goliath had come out and said, I defy, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
You see, what they wanted to do is they wanted to have one person come out from, one, from the Philistines, that's who Goliath comes out for, and one person from the nation of Israel. And they were going to fight, and whoever won would take over, and the others would be the slaves to them. And so the nation of Israel, the Bible tells us that many of them just ran in fear. Verse 24 of chapter 17 says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. So David arrives, he hears the taunting of Goliath, and he begins to inquire, What exactly is going on here? What's the game plan? Who's going to take out this one that's mocking the nation of Israel and mocking our God? Who's going to do it? And the response is pretty much what verse 24 is. Have you seen him? Did you see how big he is? I'm not going to go out there. You go first. No one would go. So Saul gets word that David's asking questions. And in the conversation, David makes this comment. He says, your servant... Saul says, you're just a young kid. You can't do anything, David. You're young. You're a youth. And David responds to Saul and says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So Saul, being Saul, thinks, well, David can't go out there by himself. Who, who really should have been going out there? Who was the tall one who was experienced in battle? Saul. He should have been the one going out there. But Saul says, well, I'll send David with my armor. Maybe people will think it's me going out there. They'll see, oh, that's Saul's armor. Saul must have finally gotten brave and went out there. But what happens? It doesn't fit David. He's not experienced in this armor. So we pick up the story in verse 49 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine, that's Goliath, looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine Goliath cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. 
When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David said, you come to me with your weaponry. You come to me with your swords. You come at me with all that you are. And let me tell you a little bit about Goliath, the giant David killed. We're told that he's nine to ten feet tall. Remember when Jack did a kid's story one day and he had the, the three yard sticks taped together. Maybe it was four, I don't know. But he had them all taped together with a face on the top of it. I remember when he did that and he came out here and was like, this is how tall Goliath was. Goliath is nine to ten feet tall. He wasn't a skinny guy either. It tells us the coat of mail that he was wearing over him was 125 pounds. Not only that, but that didn't include his helmet. The Bible tells us he had armor on his legs. It didn't include even his javelin that he had strapped to his back. And the Bible tells us he carried a spear in his hand that the tip of it was 15 pounds. Just the tip of it. And that would be a spear that he would have to throw. The Bible calls him a champion, and Saul classified him as a man of war. This is not a guy you want to mess around with. This is like Shaq on steroids. <laughs> not a guy you want to mess around with. He's big, he's strong, but David says... You can come at me with all your might, but I come, in, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. You see, David knew who was on his side. David had battled the lions and the bears. The tigers, oh my, no, there were no tigers. The Bible doesn't say there were tigers. He battled the lions and the bears, and he, he said... I know that God was with me in those moments. And he said, if I was able to buy, battle lions and bears, I'm not scared of this guy. Because the Lord is with me here too. You see, David was assured that the Lord of hosts would show up in this circumstance as well. And so, who is the Lord of hosts? What do these two stories tell us about the Lord of hosts? There's a picture. Goliath was somewhere around nine foot. David would have come up just about to his belly button, probably. <laughs> so who is the Lord of hosts? Well, the first thing I want to apply or talk about this morning is no matter the wall or giant, the Lord of hosts is bigger. We talked about Jericho and the walls. We talked about Goliath. No matter the wall or giant in your lives... The Lord of hosts is bigger. You see, Joshua faced a wall and a city that was ready for battle. It, it could have easily wiped them out just trying to get over the walls and get into the city. The defenses were there, but God gives them directions exactly how he wants them to proceed. This is not a good battle plan. 
March around the city six times. For the next six days, march around the city once each day. So six times over the next six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. We know about the number seven, right? What happens on the seventh day? God rests. It's a holy term. So God says on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times and I'll take care of the rest. That is not a good battle strategy. But God, what about all the stuff? What about the weapons? What about, are they going to shoot arrows at us as we're marching around? What are we supposed to do? My guess is they probably just laughed at them every time they went around the camp. Oh, there are those Israelites again, those crazy Israelites. They must be out of their mind. They're just blowing their horns and walking around. They'll never get in here. But on the seventh day, God does something. You see, it's not the size of the wall. It's the perspective of the wall. You see, the Lord of hosts is bigger than any wall any man can build. I, I imagine, this is not biblical, but I imagine that God's loosening the stones. Every time they walk al along, God's like, oh, I'm going to loosen the stones up a little bit. I'm going to shake the foundation a little bit. And then the seventh day, seventh time around, they blow their trumpets. They, they shout. And the walls just... Archaeology, I was looking at some of this this week. Archaeology talks about how when the wall fell, it basically provided a ramp for them to be able to walk in the city and take it over. Not only did the wall fall down, but the wall fell down the exact way it needed to, that it just provided them entrance. You see, David faced a giant that was almost twice his size, that was stronger and was better at warfare. He heard the same taunts that Goliath had said every day for 40 days. The difference between David and the rest of the nation of Israel there that was battling was in his perspective. You see, David chose to see Goliath for his actual size in God's eyes. God, David saw that Goliath was just an uncircumcised Philistine. See, circumcision was what set apart the nation of Israel. Right before uh, the first Sam or the Joshua passage, it talks about the nation of Israel had come out of Egypt, and all of those who had been circumcised before they left Egypt had died away. So they had to recircumcise everybody when they entered the promised land. And it says they waited there until they all healed. They weren't going to battle in the midst of their pain. And so circumcision was what set them apart. They said they were gods. And David says he's just an uncircumcised Philistine. He has no relationship with God whatsoever. We have the relationship with God. Why aren't we going out there and battling? Let's see him in the right perspective. <clears throat> 
Tony Evans says, we look at Goliath's size without evaluating his status. When we do that, we allow the size of the giant to eclipse the size of God. We allow the size of the giant to eclipse the size of God. It's kind of like taking a quarter. I was going to have a quarter, but I don't have any change in my pockets. I asked Stacy, she's like, I don't have any change either. But it's like taking a quarter and holding it up to the sun. You can eclipse the sun with a quarter. You just got to hold it close enough. But is that quarter bigger than the sun? No. It's the perspective we have. And sometimes these immense issues in our lives can eclipse our God who is bigger than all of them because of our perspective. We place these issues front and center and become completely overwhelmed by them. And sometimes it's not even the giants that that are in front of us, but it's the fear of the giants in front of us that are eclipsing God. It's just the thought of the giant or the wall. You see, we need to have a shift in our perspective. And so I asked this morning, what undefeatable giants and insurmountable walls are you facing? Because we need to see them in relation to the size of the Lord of hosts. We need to see them in relation to the size of the Lord of hosts. So the first point is no matter the wall or giant, the Lord of hosts is bigger. The second one is the Lord of hosts is in charge over all. The Lord in charge is is in charge over all. And we may think this term, with the examples that I've given, both Joshua and David were in battle scenarios. And so we might think that we're just talking about the Lord of hosts, or being the Lord of armies, um, that these are just battle scenarios. And there are many examples of those throughout Scripture. Um, Psalm 46, verses 7 and 11, they say the same thing. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That the Lord of hosts is constantly there, especially to help the nation of Israel. They're going through these things. And there's two instances that came up as I was doing devotional reading this week that I went, wow, these are really good examples of God just being over these armies. And the first one was in 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's Elisha and his servant. And remember, Elisha and his servant, the um, army has come for them. And they've come, the Syrian army's surrounded them. They've come to take him out, basically. They're trying to destroy him. And, And they come out in the morning, and his servant, Naaman, says, there's armies around us. And this is what happens. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, Please open his eyes, the servant Naaman, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. He didn't even use the fiery horses and chariots. He just prayed that they be blind, and they were, and he just walked away. That's one example of the Lord of hosts being over armies. The next chapter, there's this group of uh, lepers 
who are traveling away and, and they come upon the Syrian camp. And in chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, these are the Syrians that were, had blindness. It says, For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, as it was and fled for their lives. And so these lepers come along and they're like, it says that they came in and they're like, hmm, look at all this good food. And they're taking gold and they're like running off with it and like stashing it away. All because of what God did. And this wasn't even a battle. This was just God like, okay, we're going to make them hear the sound of armies around them. And they all just ran away. That's two examples. There's so many others um, in, in the Bible. And, and one of the, the quotes from the Names of God Bible says, At times, Scripture speaks of the Lord of hosts leading a great army. Cherubim and seraphim, sun and moon, stars and sky, rivers and mountains, hail and snow, men and women, animals, wild and tame. All these worship the Lord and are at times called to fight on his behalf. He is the Lord of hosts. But it's not only in military scenarios or in army scenarios. That's just one aspect of this character of the Lord of hosts. Uh, another commentary says, This name represents him as Lord of all power and might, material or spiritual, Lord of heaven and earth, sole God and ruler of the world, the Lord of powers, the Lord of all possessing and all controlling. He's Lord over it all. The same commentary made this, these points. That he is Lord over all angelic hosts. We're not going to look at each of these verses. They're there if you want to look them up. He's Lord over all angelic hosts. He's Lord over all stellar hosts, over the sky. The Bible tells us that he put the hosts of the stars into place in Genesis chapter 2. He, he's the host of all feathered hosts, of all birds. Uh, 1 Kings 17 talks about the birds bringing food. Remember the nation of Israel uh, traveling for those 40 years, God provided food for them. Manna and I believe it was quail or doves, were, were, quail were coming and they, and they were eating them. God is the Lord over all feathered hosts. He's the Lord over animal hosts. In the book of Daniel, remember Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. and The Bible says that he closed up the mouth of the lions and did not allow him to eat Daniel. And then Daniel's taken out and the, the other men are thrown in and the lions are loosed. He is the Lord over all human hosts. Romans chapter 13 says that there's no authority that God has not put into place. He's Lord over all human hosts. Even the Bible tells us he's Lord over all satanic hosts. In the book of Job, who has to go to God and ask permission? Satan himself has to ask permission from God. Can I go test him? What can I do to him? And God sets the parameters that he has to listen to and obey. 
In Luke chapter 4 is actually a situation where Jesus comes to some men who, who are... Um, term just lost me. They have evil spirits in them. Possessed, thank you. They have evil spirits in them and they're possessed. And they say, what are you going to do to us? Why? Because he's Lord over, Lord over all. And finally, all, all nature. 1 Kings 19, Joshua 10. Uh, there are others. Um, I think of, of the nation of Israel um, traveling a, across the sea. And God stops the water, and it actually happens right before this passage in Joshua too, but it's not quite as, as emphasized. But God stops the water, and they cross on dry ground, it says. And then what does he do? He releases the water, and it just wipes out all of Pharaoh's army. So God is the Lord over all nature as well. You see, God's sovereignty is not limited. His authority is not limited because he is the Lord of hosts. Finally, the Lord of hosts is our leader. He, Joshua comes to him and he says, who are you? Whose side are you on? And he says, I'm not on a side. He said, I am commander of the army of the Lord. I'm commander of the hosts of the Lord. Do you see Joshua's response? Joshua fell down and worshipped him. He properly responded to the title of who he was, that he was the Lord of hosts, and he placed him as first in his life. To begin to conquer the immense challenges in front of us, we have to start with the proper posture, and that is one of worship. A lot of times that's not where we start. When an immense wall comes up, we go, okay, here are my top five solutions, let's go. Joshua was standing there, and he was like, look at this immense wall in front of me. He finds out who this man is in front of him, and he falls down and he worships. Worship is the position where we're the most vulnerable. As he's worshiping the Lord of hosts in front of him, he's the most vulnerable. This man standing here with a sword, and he falls down in front of him. Where is he making himself vulnerable? You see, he submitted himself to the authority that was in front of him. Warren Wiersbe says, Joshua was reminded that he was second in command. He goes on to say, every father and mother, pastor and Christian leader is second in command to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we forget this fact, we start to move towards defeat and failure. The Lord came to Joshua that day, not just to help, but to lead. You see, the Lord of hosts isn't looking for a position in the back seat of your car. He doesn't want to tag along. He's there to lead. He wants to be in charge. 
but you have the ability of whether you try to make yourself in charge or whether you allow him to take control of your life. Romans 10, 9, I use this verse quite often in evangelism situations, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But the first part of that, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's ruler over all. You're confessing it, you're saying it, not just because of what the verse says, but because of your heart. You're saying, God, I want you to be the leader over my life. I don't want to do this. Why? Because I get in trouble like Adam and Eve got in trouble, and I get into sin, and so I need you to lead me so that I'm not leading myself astray. He wants you to allow him to lead your life. So will you allow the Lord of hosts to completely rule over your life? Completely rule over your life. And there's, we talk about the connection with Jesus. I think this is a pretty quick connection that Jesus was most likely the Lord of hosts there in, in the book of Joshua. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came. This is after his resurrection. He came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Who is he? He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of all. Philippians emphasizes it. Paul says, therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess, because he is the Lord of hosts. God has given Jesus rule and authority over everything physical and everything spiritual. And Romans 8 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul goes on to say, for I am sure that neither Death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he is the Lord of hosts. He has all of that under control. And so in our lives, we have to ask, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing of the, on the immensity of the quarter? Or are we focusing on the immensity of the Son? That has a double meaning there. The Son, Jesus Christ. What are we focusing on? So there's nothing impossible for the Lord of hosts. There is nothing impossible for the Lord of hosts. He's Lord of all. Will you submit to his rule and authority? Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you're the Lord of hosts, that you're the God over all. God, when we stress about things in our lives, when we have anxiety about things in our lives, when, when the immensity of something boils up and we become overwhelmed by some of the, the situations that we find ourselves in, God, help us to see them in the right perspective. 
Reveal yourself as the Lord of hosts to us in those moments so that we're able to take the immensity of how we feel about those things but realize how small and uncircumstantial those things are. That they all matter to you more than they probably do to us. God, I pray that you would be the Lord of hosts. And God, that we would give you that honor, that worship, that authority in our own lives. Giving you complete control and lordship over every area of our lives over the financial pieces of our lives, over the family pieces of our lives, over the work situations of our lives, over the health concerns of our lives, over the possessions of our lives. God, just rule over all these things. God, I pray that we would give them to you on a day-to-day basis that you would be ruler over all. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.